Thank you, Brian. Thank you, everybody. Thank you so much. Appreciate you being here today. I believe that uh, this is going to be a message that resonates with every one of us. Um, I'm glad you did come here. I'm glad you braved the blizzard. Uh, thank God, right? Amen. Said, oh, it's only going to snow in a little bit. It's only going to rain. No, it's okay. Just as long as it doesn't pile up, it's good. It looks pretty. It looks like the end of every Hallmark movie, right? I said to my wife, we watch these movies, it, every movie ends up with snow, even if it's in the middle of June, it snows. It's like it's God's blessing on the couple or something. So, all right, so um, I am really glad that you're here today because what I'm going to be talking about uh, in this part six of our series on foundations really is something that um, we need to focus or refocus in on today, especially with what we've seen happen in our society over the past few years um, in the sense of it's become okay for people to isolate themselves. And that's never a good thing, okay? Um, so part six of this Foundations series is the fact that God commands us, not suggests, but commands us to do life together. None of us have been created to live this life alone, to live this life isolated. Yet, we understand how, how it's evolved. Many people um, have suffered loss over the past few years. Many people have had a really, really bad time with their health over the last couple of years. And so this thing has gotten instilled on in us uh, to stay away from people. And that's not good, okay? Um, I understand that certain individuals have health challenges. Totally respect that. But don't let your heart get comfortable with the fact of not being able to see people or congregate together or share times together. And so basically what we're talking about this morning is the, the, the desire that God has for his children to live in community with one another. Do, do, we, do we get that? Uh, God is never okay with us being isolated. Uh, I remember one of our instructors in Bible school years ago said that he believed that God created us uh, deficient intentionally so that we would have to rely on other individuals to be able to accomplish what God's called us to do in our individual lives. And you could see that. God calls teams together. He calls couples together. He calls families together. He calls groups of individuals within a church. God never calls one person to try to accomplish everything on their own. And we'll see that as we get into the message. You, some of you might remember about a year ago, I think it was right around this time last year, I forgot my water bottle. Thank you, Mike. Thanks, buddy. <clears throat> some of you might remember last year around this time, I taught a series uh, entitled The Apostles' Creed. I don't know if you know that, remember it. You might want to go look it up again. And in that series, we, we actually spent one weekend talking about that facet of Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And this is what it says. And they, the disciples, I'm talking about the early church, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in their teaching, and look at this, in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Okay? Now, fellowship breaking in bread in this context is talking about amongst groups of people. Yeah, um, you can break bread on your own. Very simple. Take a loaf of bread and break it. You can pray on your own. But when you take those elements and you put them in a group of individuals, 
now you're, you're basically fulfilling what God desires for his church and for his children. And this was one and remains one of the main components of life, not only in the early church, but should be life uh, here in church in 2022. Amen? Um, The Greek word that's used in the New Testament is uh, for fellowship or for communion or for uh, community is the word koinonia, which really is used in conjunction with when we take communion together, when we have the Eucharist, okay? Now, in its original root meanings, it means to share together, to share in common. And in this case, it refers to the community of believers. Now, we don't really use that word fellowship today. Am I right? It's kind of an antique word. In fact, when we first started this church, for the first probably eight or nine years, we were known as, and our legal entity is still New Beginnings Christian Fellowship, okay? And so, but we realized that that we knew what it meant, but we realized that the community didn't really understand what that word fellowship meant. And so we kind of took that out, but we never took out the principle. Amen? Because God had given me and spoken to me when I was in Bible school, uh, before the church started and said, uh, I don't want you to build a church. I want you to raise a family because a family will stick together in hard times. And we've seen that all throughout these almost 25 years of people sticking together, supporting one another, holding each other up, carrying each other's burdens, forgiving each other when need be and rejoicing with each other when need be. That's what the church is supposed to be like. But watch this now. Our community among ourselves, our relationships with one another really are supposed to reflect the relationship that we have with God the Father. See, I can't really reflect to you. uh, I can't really represent to you anything more than what my life is built on. Amen? We have a word for people who try to represent themselves as something that they're really not, and and we, we call them what? Oh, phony's good, but I was thinking more about hypocrite. See, the word hypocrite was really the ancient Greek word for an actor on stage, person who puts on a character. And so we, we don't want to do that. We want to be genuine with each other, yes or no? How many of you love phonies? Because we'll put a special group together for you. <laughs> Nobody, not even people outside of this relationship that we have with God, people that don't know Jesus yet. It seems like there's this this thing in us that we automatically can recognize that in individuals. And unfortunately, that is what what has kept many people from having genuine relationships. How many have ever gotten burned in a relationship? At least once. Or at least how many times? How many got burned? How many many would honestly say, with all transparency, I have hesitated getting involved in other relationships because of the hurts that I suffered before? How many would say that? Okay. How many of the rest of you want to be honest? Okay, and that's that's a major thing, and that's sometimes what happens in our in our relationships uh, within the scope of church or within the scope of family or coworkers. You know, um, we're so programmed now to be very uh, defensive and to have our guard up all the time. You know, um, it's very rare now that you can move into a neighborhood and uh, become very friendly with all your neighbors. Now, years ago, that was a common thing; you didn't even think about it. Today, you can live and die in a neighborhood and not even know who lives next door to you. Am I right or not? Yeah. And, 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 and it shouldn't be that way. But the sad part is 
we become okay with that. And that's one of the major reasons why we need to listen to this teaching. Because you see, when we isolate ourselves from one another as believers, that's, that's bad. But when we isolate ourselves from unbelievers, that's worse. Because you and I went from unbeliever to believer because God put someone in our life to invest in us. Yes or no? Yes. So, the Apostle John wrote a letter to the church. And interestingly enough, this letter was written after his experience of being banished by the Roman Empire onto this little island off the coast of modern-day Turkey, uh, where he probably lived very isolated. To this day, you can go to that island of Patmos, and you could go to the cave where John lived during that 18-month that period that he was there. So it's interesting that he comes off of that rock, comes back into civilization, and he writes this about his relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 1 of 1 John chapter 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon, and our hands handled concerning the word of life. Who's he talking about? Jesus. He's remembering his relationship with the Lord. The life was manifest, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father, was manifested to us. Eternal life, he's saying, was with God the Father in heaven, but when Jesus came physically to earth, then the life that was manifested through God the Father, Jesus manifested to them. John now, listen, is wanting to manifest it to others. That is the reason why you need to be in relationship with people. That is the reason why you need to start sharing life with others and not saying as an excuse, well, I did that and it blew up in my face. I did that and people turned out to be traitorous. I did that and, and it just caused too many pain. No, no, you've got to learn now to trust God to put the people in your life that he wants you to have in your life and use discernment, follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Now, Bible tells us very clearly, people are not our enemies. And somebody's saying, yeah, you don't live in my house. We're told in the book of Ephesians that we do not wrestle, we don't fight, we don't contend with flesh and blood. And he goes on to tell us, but our real battle is a spiritual battle. And he goes on to name the different rankings of spirits that are really your problem. When you get to that place to realize a flesh and blood and bone individual is not your enemy, that they may be under influence of a spirit that is not right, then you learn to have some compassion with people. Amen? Then you learn to understand, okay, I can't really get mad at the person because it's not them talking, okay? Does everybody have their mind on the Super Bowl today? First John chapter 1. John says, we handled him, we heard him, we touched him, we shared life with him. Verse 3, that which we, we have seen and heard, we declare to you. That's what relationships are supposed to do. What we've experienced with the Father, what we've experienced with Jesus and the Holy Spirit, we're supposed to share with one another. 
that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. Our joy is full when we experience our relationship with Jesus, and then we take what we've learned in our relationship with Jesus, and then we apply it to the relationships we have with other human beings. Yes or no? But listen, you can only reflect what you've experienced. And he's saying that. He's saying we hung out with him. We spent time with him. We ate together. They spent anywhere from three to three and a half years together almost on a daily basis. And he's saying that experience I want to share with you so that you in turn can share it with others. Some of the strongest conversion experiences that I have seen in 37 years has come when, when someone who's born again begins to invest in the, in, a, in the relationship with another individual who is not yet born again, and that influence brings that person into the kingdom and into the family of God. It's a very strong bond that's created. Those of you that are newcomers to this church, please, do your best to not come in with your guard up. You may have had bad experiences at other churches. We weren't there. Sometimes people come because they had a bad experience at another church and they want to take it out on the new church that they're going to. It, you, it doesn't work, okay? I, I'm sorry that you had a bad experience, but it wasn't us. Give us an opportunity. Give us a chance. Now, those of you that have been here, Everybody say this together. I love my pastor because he tells me the truth, whether it feels good or not. Okay, so we got that clear, right? Now you said it, now you got to walk in it. All right, those of you that have been here for years, try to please resist the temptation of getting in your little clique. Try to resist the temptation of always hanging around with the same people. You have phones now, right? Every, just about, I would imagine everybody in this room today has a phone. You can call your best friend from church during the week. See yourself as an extension of Jesus that when you come to church, whether it's Wednesday night, whether it's Saturday night, whether it's Sunday morning, that you're going to be determined and you're going to be intentional. I'm going to look out for somebody who seems like they're newcomers here. And as somebody made me feel welcome, I am now going to make that person feel welcome. Could you imagine what they were doing? How many remember walking into church for the first time? How awkward, how intimidating it can be. Now, unless you came with somebody you knew, but for the most part, people come, uh, they usually come by themselves because they want to scout it out. And so they walk in and they find a wall and they stand up against the wall and they observe. And honestly, some of the saddest things that we've seen as pastors is when we notice that, and yet two feet away from them, there's a group of two or three people that are talking and laughing and hugging each other, and nobody's paying attention to the new person that just walked in. You can fulfill the Great Commission by just paying attention to who's walking through those doors and make them feel welcome. You see a mom struggling with two or three kids on her own? Jump in and offer, hey, listen, can I help you? Can I show you where the children's rooms are? Can I show you where the restroom is? It's such a little thing. 
But, but it requires us stepping up out of ourselves and being very much aware of the people that are around us. And that's how you build relationships. That's how God is glorified. That's how the influence of the kingdom goes forth into people's lives. It takes somebody to do it. Amen? Amen. So, now this letter, this epistle that John wrote to the church seems to suggest that there's even more benefits to fellowship with each other. Let's go to verse 7 of that same chapter. Verse 7. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, right? Look at this now. But if we walk in the light, it, let, let me put it this way. Look at me, look at me. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, what happens? We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now watch this now. Don't, don't just bypass that first phrase. But if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Now, hear me out. Resist the temptation to judge what I'm going to say until I'm completely done. Okay? We're told to walk in the light as he is in the light. Your main priority is to form relationships with those that are walking in the light. Be very aware. I'm not saying be paranoid, but be very aware who you let into your life, okay, that you're going to have fellowship with. We're not talking about acquaintances. We're talking about koinonia. We're talking about sharing things in common. We're talking about opening up your heart to individuals. Be discerning. Because most of the times where people are going to get hurt, they're going to get hurt because they let the wrong person in their life too close. You're sitting there like it never happened to you. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You let somebody in your life, you thought you could trust them, and they turn out and they take all your business and it's all over Facebook. Yes or no? Okay. Be aware of that because you're going to get hurt there. And then when the genuine one comes, when a genuine relationship comes, you're going to be hesitant to get involved because you're going to remember that bad relationship. Now, let's balance this because some of you look at me like, oh, I'm not supposed to associate with anybody else. No, no. There are friendships and then there are associations. You getting this? Okay. Now, every one of us have unsaved people in our lives. The Bible is not telling us don't have anything to do with them. The Bible is telling us put it in the right priorities. You, you share your life with those who are of like faith. You share your faith with those who don't have it yet. You getting this? Okay, we're going to have to spend some time on this one. Okay. When a young lady comes to us and says, I met this person. This is the man of my dreams. And, and, and they hardly know the person, and the person has already said, I'm not into that Christianity stuff. I'm not into going to church. I don't believe the Bible. I don't believe in Jesus. It should be a, eh, 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 eh. Now, some of you don't like what I'm saying because it goes contrary to your belief system, but it doesn't go contrary to God's belief system. Because God knows the end from the beginning and knows the hardship you may have with that person if you're considering a long-term relationship. 
You listening to me? You take it one step at a time. You don't give your heart to someone who doesn't have their heart in the hands of God. Somebody needs to hear this today. This will, you will avoid decades of suffering in your life. Now, what do you do? Well, pastor, I feel like this might be the one. Good. Then put yourself on the side, pray for the person, and watch. No, I'm going to, I'll change them. Oh, honey, you are doomed to weekly counseling sessions for the rest of your life. I have yet in 37 years to see that work. Now, does it mean that God, you know, if people are not believers, they don't get married? No, my wife and I were not believers when we got married. But neither one of us were. I've seen other people, they're believers, and they get involved with somebody who's already told them, I'm not doing this kind of life. You better run. But they're so hot. I don't care how hot they are. (laughs) Hotness changes. But they treat me so good. Yeah, now. I'm, I, I wish I could ask for a show of hands who I'm talking to right now. Because it is so strong. So strong. Flee. Run. Pray for them. Love them from a distance. Watch their lives. If they come around, fine. If not, adios. Next. And wait for God to bring you the one. Amen? You're better off by yourself than to be in the wrong relationship. Hallelujah, Pastor. I'm so glad I came here this morning. (laughs) Now, God desires for us to be in each other. God never endorses isolation. Never. He wants us to be, he considers us one body. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20. But now, indeed, there are many members, yet one body. Right here, right in this room right now. It's many members, but in God's eyes, we're one entity. We're the body of Christ. Amen? But within the body of Christ, there are many members. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Then for time's sake, I want to skip down to verse 25, that there should be no schism. Now, that's another word we don't use today. I'll replace it with a word that we more commonly use, that there should be no division, no separation, no disconnect in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. Members should have the same care for one another. Members should care for one another, and yet this is what most of us do. We know somebody's going through a tough time. We know somebody's really having it tough right now, maybe in health, maybe in relationship, maybe in finances, maybe whatever. And we know that we really should get involved in this person's life to try to help them, and this is what we do. But really, it's none of my business. No, it is your business, because God just said it is your business, that we should have the same care one for another. We should care for each other. We shouldn't treat one member of the body less than another person. But you see, it has to come from the body, okay? You can't say, well, so-and-so, they're a lesser member of the body of Christ. They really don't do much. They just sit, they come, they sit in a chair. In God's eyes, we're all one entity, and we should have care for one another. We should have community between us, amongst us, including every one of us, okay? Now, we're not all the same. 
And we need to be careful of that. Because differences sometimes can spring up in relationships. But we should have enough maturity and we should have enough respect for God to understand that just because we're different, we have different cultures we come from, different backgrounds. Some of you have very different backgrounds. Your church experience may be very different than what you're experiencing right now. I know I came out of a Roman Catholic background, you know, considered probably one of the most devout in my family. But, you know, there was a series of years that went by and it's just like, this ain't doing it for me. This is not helping me in my issues that I had at a particular time of life. And pretty much just walked away from everything. And thank God for the people that he brought into my life, fellowship, relationship, koinonia, sharing things that sparked an interest in me to go and find out what is this whole born again thing about, you know? But after I became a Christian, then I began to realize, man, there's people, you know, the first time I walked into a church like ours was on Easter Sunday, April the 25th, excuse me, April the 22nd, Easter Sunday, 1984. Room a little bit, about the same size as this, full of wacky hand-raising People shouting, people jumping, people like this. I'm like, man, this is different than the Catholic Church. <laughs> you know? And then I'm looking around, and people are speaking all kinds of different languages. And I'm like, oh, this is interesting, because I've always been very interested in languages, but none of these languages sound familiar to me, and each person sounds like they're speaking a different language. I had no idea that there was such a thing as speaking in tongues, and there was such a thing as charismatic churches or Pentecostal churches. I, it was the most foreign thing to me in my life. Never even heard about such a thing, okay? So now here I am, and I'm one of them, okay? And, and so that was a change. And then when I, when I went on in years, and after 11 years of being in a church like that, then God brings us to a Bible school and got to meet people from all different denominations, all different. You know, I'll never forget the first time I saw an Amish person. Never seen it. I saw pictures. But I never saw an actual person in our Bible school. It was a lady there with a big bonnet on her head with, you know, the things. I'm like, oh, this is different. But we're one body. Just in this room alone, we have so many people from so many different backgrounds, ethnic backgrounds, uh, just racial backgrounds, different cultures, different church traditions. And the beauty of it all is when we come together together, and we don't lose our identities, but we kind of blend together so that we complement each other instead of standing on the difference. Well, this is the way we've done it, and this is the way we've always done it. No, no, no. Okay, that's the way you do it, but you know what? This is the way we do it. How about we blend together so that now we are now having a richer experience, and that, according to the scripture, is what community and fellowship is supposed to produce. It's supposed to safeguard against division, against separation, against disunity. When we walk in respect for one another, and sometimes even if we disagree with one another, we could still respect each other. And then when we get to heaven, you'll find out I was right. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? If I could, if I could just summarize in my heart, and we're not done yet. But if I could just summarize in my heart, why do I believe this message is extremely important? Because the ways of our society have taken a toll on many, 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 many people. Many people. 
There are many more people now that are suffering signs and, and, and little glimpses of mental disorder. And it's all arising out of this past two years of fear, anxiety, stress. There are still people that are afraid to come out of their homes. There are still people that are afraid to have human contact with individuals. And I'm not going to get on either side of that whole debate, although I have my own opinions. But the most important thing is this. Regardless of what's gone on, we cannot lose touch with each other or we're done. We're lost. You are not made to live by yourself. You are not made to just stuff everything within you. You're not made. Number one, you're not made to hold on to the things that God has already done in your life. You have a responsibility to share those with someone who has not yet had that experience. But you, you can't do that on your own. So the reason why I purposely and intentionally chose this weekend to teach this message is because at the end of the service, in a little while from now, Brian's going to come back up here and tell you and give you the details about our connect groups, which start, actually registration started last night. This is the weekend that we open up registration for our next batch of connect groups. And there's some really good ones there. There's some really, really good ones there. So if you've never had that experience of joining a connect group, I'm going to urge you, please do that this time. There's many different topics. You have a, a, a page on your, uh, you have a sheet of paper on your, on your chairs there that tells you all the different ones. Brian will come up later and do that. But watch this now. There are some major, major blessings when we come together. And, 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 and even for a short period of time where most of those groups there only meet for like six to eight weeks, once a week, and you'll be able to start coming out of that shell. And I'm challenging you, okay? What I found in all three services this weekend is this concern here. I believe it's coming from the Holy Spirit. There's some of you that are sitting here today. Happened last night, happened in the first service this morning. You're hearing all of this through a filter. And that filter is a result of you getting hurt in past relationships. And so you're sitting here and you're going, but inside is like, because you're afraid of getting hurt again. I'm going to ask you ahead of time. Open up your heart and start trusting God. Start allowing him. You see, you, 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 I'm not telling you to trust people. Trust is earned. I, people don't understand this sometimes. We're commanded to love. We're not commanded to trust. You're not getting that, because if you got that, the bulb wouldn't went off. You and I are commanded to love one another. Trust is earned. And so I'm asking you to please, if you've had bad experiences, and it seems those of us, the older we get, unfortunately, the more bad experiences we have, and unfortunately, the more we start to just draw back and not want to get involved, because I don't want to get hurt again. No, Pastor, you don't know what I went through. Honey, I know what you went through. You don't know what I've been through. Okay? It's just, it's life. It's just the way it is. When you live on a planet that is full of people that have sin nature, you're going to have hurts and wounds. But God is saying, if you'll trust me, I'll give you the grace. I'll give you, I'll lead you. I'll show you. I'll let you know on the inside, this relationship is safe. This one, stay away from right now. And then have the sense, and I feel like sharing this again although it's not in my notes, have the sense to understand 
that life on planet Earth is about seasons. Do you understand what I mean? And seasons change. So, so you and I can think back of times where there was a season where so-and-so or a group of people, it was very natural to have them in your life. But then something changes. Season changed. And it's not that they're bad or that you're bad. And it doesn't even require something bad to happen. But it's just like, you know what? That season's over with now. Whatever you were supposed to pour into those people's lives, you did. Whatever they were supposed to pour into your life, they did. So then let the season flow. Because I've seen many times that God will bring the seasons back again. How many of you have had people come back in your life that you knew many, many, many years ago, and you thought, wow, those people are gone, and then all of a sudden, through some circumstance, God brings them back into your life again? Yes or no? Okay? Be sensitive to that. What ends up happening is what we do sometimes, and a lot of it is due to our own insecurities. Of course, nobody in here probably suffers from anything like that. Our own insecurities, our own uh, fears of abandonment, things of that nature. And so what we do is we try to hold on to relationships that God's going, okay, now, that's enough. That's enough. Okay, you need to let go of this now. Just put it in a different category and move on. I I I have another set of individuals I want you to influence and I want them to influence you. So just flow with me. Then we go like this. No, no, no. You don't understand. They need me. Famous last death words. But you understand, they need me. They need me. No, no, they need God. You're not God. I don't know if anybody told you that before. You're not God. They need God. You need God. Okay? We're only complete in him, according to the scriptures. Your completeness is never going to come from another person. Why? Because you're trying to get from a person what you can only get from God. Is this helping anybody today? I feel like I'm talking and I'm like, what you need has to come from God. Now, what's great is when you get what you need from God and I get what I need from God and then the two of us get together. Now, I'm not trying to suck the life out of you and you're not trying to suck the life out of me. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You're all sitting here like, I don't know what he's talking about. How many of you know exactly what I'm talking about? That's when relationships are godly and that's the kind of relationship that God wants. Okay, he needs to be in the center of every relationship. Amen? Amen. Watch this now. God never endorses isolation. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 10, which this scripture really I've known for 37 years, but it's really come to life in the past year or so. Because I believe that this scripture, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, is speaking to the church of the last days. Hebrews 10, 25, I'm going to read to you from the New Living Translation. Okay, look at what it says. Pay attention to it. And let us not neglect our meeting together. If he's got to tell us to let us not neglect, that means that we can possibly neglect our meeting together. Yes or no? Let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another. That's what I'm trying to do this morning, is to encourage us to continue to live life together, to meet together, to share things together. Why? He said, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Why do you think that that scripture is so important during this time? 
because especially since the season we've been in. Um, not coming to your house because I'm afraid I'm going to catch something. I don't want you to come to my house. If you come to my house, leave it on the porch. Now, I'm not making fun of anybody. There was a time when you needed to do that. You did that. But too many people have gotten used to living that way. And it's not good. It's not good. You know, how many of you have been at the Wawa or the 7-Eleven and you're standing in line, you want to pay for your coffee, and the person turns around in front of you and it's like, looking at you like, how dare you be within five feet of me? <laughs> Am I the only one? No. Supermarket's okay because you have the shopping cart you know, when, when you get online. But, but you sense that, don't you? You sense the awkwardness. Okay, I'm not saying don't take safety precautions. Do what you need to do for you. But don't let it get in your heart. Because when it gets in your heart, you'll get used to it. And it's not good. He said, don't, the original, original King James, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as some are doing. Now, he's writing in the early church. He said, it's already a problem now. And they didn't even have computers to stay home with to watch, to, to watch uh, church on, right? Now, we're doing church at home. How are you doing church at home? Are you inviting people to your house? Because says what you're supposed to assemble yourselves together. That means there should be more than one person. Yes or no? Even more so as we see the day of his return approaching. Why is that important? Because as society, listen to me, listen to me good. Because we're seeing it. We've been seeing it for decades now. As society becomes more and more hostile, to believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, the believers in the Lord Jesus Christ are going to need each other. Yes. We're going to need to encourage each other. We're going to need to support one another. We're going to need to make each other feel safe. Okay? But consider this. There's even a practical side to this. Okay? We may need each other and network together to even get our common basic necessities that we need in life. Okay? You don't know what's coming up ahead. We know there's tough times. We know we've seen all over the world tough times. We've seen shortages all over the place. Okay, when, when the pandemic hit last two years ago at this time, one of the first moves that we made here in New Beginnings is said, well, you know what? Some of our families may not be able to get out to the supermarkets, especially our elderly. Some individuals... Um, we don't know if the supermarkets are even going to be open. You remember those early days, all the panic and the stress that was there? So we don't know what's going to happen. So this is what we do. We come up with a plan. All of our staff members, all of our leaders, all of our elders, we said, you're going to come to the food pantry. We're going to load up your car, your truck, van, whatever. And you're going to take all this food. We're going to divvy it up amongst us. And you're going to put all these supplies in your garage. Some people, we even put a freezer in their garage so they could have meats and chicken and stuff like perishable stuff. And we said, if anything happens, you now become a distribution center for your neighborhood. You now are available to minister to other believers or unbelievers or whoever, especially in the elderly communities. Amen? What are we doing? We're networking. Why? To make sure that everybody has at least some basic needs. Amen? You don't know where we're, we're heading. Look, Jesus is coming back. Some people, when you hear that, you go, <laughs> yeah. Jesus is coming back. Amen. And we don't know what we're going to see happen on earth here, the hardships, 
from now until the time that he comes. We need each other. Now, how much better would it be if we start establishing that network of support now before things really get crazy? We need each other. God commands us to do life together. He's equipped us for it. Why is it important? Because there's five things that happen, at least five things that happen when you and I form a network. Number one, it demonstrates the love that binds us together. When we're doing life together, loving one another stands out as a shining example to the rest of this world. It's like a billboard saying this thing is real. This Jesus is real. John 13, I'm going to give you a scripture you're probably all very familiar with. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, listen to this, this is important. By this will all know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. When there's genuine godly relationships, they speak very loud. Why? Because people in the world are looking for genuine love. They're looking for genuine. They're just as tired of phoniness as we are. And believe me, I think sometimes the people outside of church can recognize a phony more than we can. And they, when they see genuine, they recognize it. I've shared this testimony hundreds of times throughout the years. The thing that impacted my heart the most to come out of the dark world that I was living in, to come and come into relationship with God was an incident that took place at the end of March 1984. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was the last day of March 1984. Uh, I used to be in the food business. I used to have a restaurant. I used to have catering businesses and stuff like that. We were called upon in 1984 in, in, in March, the beginning of March, to do a wedding at the end of March. 400 people invited. I'm like, you just woke up yesterday and realized you're getting married? And it's, only, it's only weeks from now. And this woman, very patiently, I didn't know she was a born-again Christian at the time, she said to me, Joe, I don't know what else to tell you. All I know is every other door has shut on me. There's a reason why I'm coming here to deal with you. And I went, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I'm thinking 400 guests, cha-ching, cha-ching. I mean, I'm counting the profit already, right? So um, we sat down, we talked, put a menu together real quick. And then she begins to tell me that they're all born-again Christians. And for the next two and a half hours, she shares the gospel with me. I go and cater the wedding. There's nine of us there, myself and eight people in the kitchen preparing food. And I kept walking out into the banquet hall from the kitchen and I would just stand there like this and observe these 400 people. And I said to myself and I said to the crew that I had in, in the kitchen, these people have something I've never experienced yet. The love that they had for one another was so genuine the atmosphere of peace that was there, I had never experienced in my life. I, I, it would freak me, so I would go back in the kitchen, and then I would go, I got to see this again, and I would come out again, and I would just stand there. And that impacted my heart so much, it spoke to me that this is real. It was genuine. It was pure. There was something holy about it. And it was like the void in my heart was crying out, this is what you want. This is what you need. And within a couple of weeks then, I was born again. So our relationships with one another, when they're godly, they speak and they validate the love that Jesus said he had for us and that we should have for one another. 
Number two, people take Jesus more seriously when they see his people sharing lives together. People will believe that Jesus sent you into their lives. I guess every one of us in this room could have a story of someone that you knew, Christian, a family maybe, a couple, and you realize in your heart, wow, there's something special about these people. It speaks loudly, it speaks volumes. And that's why you need to put your guards down. Don't be foolish. But God has placed people on assignment in your life. There are people that he sends to minister to you, and there is people that he sends for you to minister to. At this stage, on this side of the cross, having been born again, having been saved, I would imagine there's more people that he's going to send for you to minister to. He already sent you the ones to minister to you. So for you to cut off that flow means that somebody may not have the impact. They may not see the reality of Jesus because you were trying to protect your emotions instead of trusting God to use you to minister to somebody else. Number three, the Holy Spirit honors the lifestyle of fellowship. Psalm 133 talks about oil coming down on the high priest Aaron's beard, and it's a type and shadow of the Holy Spirit coming upon the church, the body of Christ, Aaron being the high priest. And he goes on to say that there is where God ministers life. There where? That place of unity that place where people come together. I can't tell you the amount of times that I've had where people, we've come together with groups of individuals. We start talking about what God's been doing. Start talking about what you saw in the Bible recently. And all of a sudden you realize, wow, the anointing, the presence of the Holy Spirit is right there in the midst of you. Why? He honors that genuine fellowship. The Bible tells us that when Peter and John in the book of Acts, remember the very beginning of the book of Acts, they were released from jail after they had been, been imprisoned because a lame man received his healing. And so they took and put him in prison. When they released him from prison and threatened them that they should no longer preach in the name of Jesus, it says they returned to their own companions. Let me ask you this question. Do you have a set of companions that you could go to when times are rough? Do you have a support network? Do you have individuals in your life? Or have you been the type of person, I don't want nobody to know my business? Well, guess what? God uses people sometimes to minister to us. You're cutting yourself off from that flow. But then it says in, in, in the same chapter, in chapter 4, book of, the book of Acts, chapter 31, Peter and John go to the place where all the disciples are assembled together. They pray together. And it tells us in verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Listen, there is something definitely different that happens when we all come together to worship, when we all come together to pray. It's called the corporate anointing. And yes, I have sensed the presence of God on my own in my own worship time, but it is not the same as when you're together with a group of individuals that all come together with the same heart, same mind to worship God. It's something that different that experience that you experience. It's very difficult to experience that on your own. Number five, finally, the last thing that I would say <clears throat> happens when we connect with groups of people is that generosity is released. We see in that same chapter, 
after this outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the disciples, after Peter and John were released from prison, after the place was shaken, after they were filled with the Spirit, verse 32 says that all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. The natural result of genuine God-centered community is going to be a release of generosity. I want to finish today with a story. True story happened to my wife and I back in the early 90s. Actually, 1990 to be exact. That was the year that we were forced to declare bankruptcy. That was the year that we were forced to face the fact that we were going to lose our home. We were going to lose our business. Cars were going to be repossessed. We just had fought as much as we could, as tried as much as we could, but it was time to sign the papers. Very scary time, especially when you're a husband and wife to take care of who's counting on you. Four sons who like to eat. Um, and it's a very heavy weight on the breadwinner in the household. There was an older couple that was in our lives at that time. They had been in our lives for a number of years before that. They were pretty much old enough to be our parents. There was that much of an age difference between us. And they called us and they said they knew what had happened. They knew about the bankruptcy. They knew that we were facing foreclosure. Didn't know when we were going to be evicted out of the house. And they said, we're coming over your house. We want to celebrate Thanksgiving dinner with you. Okay, there's only one problem. It's September. So we knew that this was unusual. We didn't really understand 100% what they were talking about. But we said, yes, please come. And they came over. They brought an entire dinner, appetizers, main course, dessert. They set the table for us. And they said, we're going to celebrate your breakthrough and the turnaround together before it happens. We're not going to wait until we see it because we know that God's going to do it. Yeah. Let me tell you, I'm not going to say they brought filet mignon. I'm not going to say that we enjoyed the most expensive dinner, but we enjoyed a time of fellowship that meant more to us, to my wife and I, than if they had come with a check for $100,000 and said, here, take this. The fellowship the community, the love that they showed us really lifted us up at that, at that season. And it spoke, their act of fellowship, their act of concern spoke three things to my heart and I'm sure to my wife too. Number one, it spoke support for us. Their actions said, we believe in you. And although you've had a temporary setback, we know God's gonna turn this thing around. Number two, it spoke compassion. It said to us, our heart is breaking with your heart. Number three, it spoke trust in Almighty God that we, we would be able to celebrate ahead of time before we saw the manifestation of the turnaround. And we enjoyed that meal together and that has impacted our hearts ever since. Church, there are people that are sitting right around you. There are people in your neighborhoods. There are people in your extended families. There are people on your jobs that are facing defeat right now. 
They may have lost a loved one through sickness and disease. They may be suffering the loss of a relationship. They may be suffering financially. And they're losing all confidence in themselves. I'm charging you today to let your guard down. Not to the point to get yourself in trouble. But first of all, put your trust in God and say, Lord, I've been hurt in the past. You know that. But Father, I'm ready to trust you again to allow me to share my life with others. And I'm trusting you to put safe people in my life, people that I can invest in, people that I can bless, people that I can show compassion to, and people that I can receive compassion from, people that I can bless materially, people that I can bless with my words and with my time so that we would reflect the character and the nature of God Almighty. Church, don't let your hurt emotions keep you from being an extension of the Lord Jesus Christ into someone else's life. You may save someone from suicide. You may save someone from a life that's shipwrecked, turning away from God. What an honor and a privilege it would be to know that God used you to extend his love to another individual in this life. Amen? I want to make a final plea. I'm going to ask you to all stand up. I'm going to ask the prayer team, the prayer workers to come up front here. Now, this is going to take you being vulnerable. Barb, can you come up too, please? This is going to take you being vulnerable a little bit. Mindy? Listen. By virtue of the fact of how many people are packed into this room this morning, I'm sure that there are some of you that have been very hurt and very wounded in relationships. And you're like, Pastor, I would love to trust again, but I'm so traumatized from the past. I've been hurt so many times. I've been disappointed. I don't know if I can do it again. And I would remind you of this, church. The scriptures tell us, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Your step of faith can trigger a release of grace in your life from God that will not only heal your hearts from the hurts, but will also empower you to be a blessing to somebody else in the future. If that's you, you say, Pastor, I'm hurt. My, hurt, my heart's broken. Been disappointed so many times. Could, could you please come up here so that you can receive prayer? And let's trust God to not only heal your heart, but also to equip you for the future relationships that God has for you.